Hey guys, welcome to Campfire Chronicles. My name is Kelsey Garmendia. I'm your host. This podcast is brought to you by Cure Habitat, of course, the great and wonderful Cure Habitat. So please go ahead and look on Twitch for them. They stream the podcast uh, the day it airs, so it's always good to chat and, and hang out afterwards to talk about what we talk about during the podcast. So, as some of you may know, I live in Texas. Needless to say, Texas had its first bout of real winter weather in over 60 years, and uh, we did not handle it well. (laughs) Um, I work from home for my day job, and I had no power for four days. Um, All my kids were home because nowhere in San Antonio had power. I truly got a glimpse of what it looks like to potentially die from weather conditions. Like I've never actually experienced that. And I lived in Tornado Alley. I lived through hurricanes. I've lived through blizzards. And this was the first time that I was petrified that me and my kids were going to freeze to death in our house. Yeah, it was it was a horrible week, horrible week. Um, there were times that the temperature outside was in the single digits, and I and my husband grew up in New York, so we were familiar with the weather. However, these houses down here are not built for cold weather like that. Um, I don't know why. I don't understand it. We bought this house, and... Why would they not insulate it at all or, or not enough to withstand cold temperatures is beyond me. Texas does get cold and I've been here now five going on six years and I have experienced colder weather enough that snow falls enough that, you know, ice slicks over the streets. And it's just astonishing that these houses, I mean, the minute that the power goes out, are essentially igloos, brick igloos, just freezing on the inside. One of the days we were all dressed in winter jackets and sweatpants and socks and I was monitoring the fireplace and I kept looking at our pile of firewood, hoping that that was going to get us through this because honestly I didn't know when the the power outages were going to end. I told my husband, it's like listen, we're probably going to have to just leave. And he was like, "Where do we go? All the roads are closed." It's just, you know, it's hard it's hard to understand what a lot of what was going through people's minds. Like I know that I can drive on snow. My husband knows he can drive on snow even without you know any plows or salt or anything like that. We know how to drive in bad weather. For anybody who does not live in the South, Texas literally closes. Like, Texas is canceled when there's bad weather like that. So all the major highways were closed. All uh, stores were closed because there was no power, of course. Gas stations were like slim to none that you might be able to find one. Luckily, you know, we have a plug-in car, so we'd get a little bit out of the battery first. I truly 
truly felt like if we burned through our last bit of firewood that we were screwed and we would have to leave. Now, it's crazy to me that there were still people, homeless people on the streets during this time. You know, every day when I drive my kids to therapy, there's a man on the street corner who typically, you know, he has a sign that says anything will help. And I thought about him when I was sitting in front of my fireplace, hoping that I had enough firewood. And I just thought to myself, like, where is he? Is he okay? Did he find shelter? And I think that our society as a whole has stopped being empathetic. You know, I don't know that man. And I have given him water. I've given him food. I typically don't carry cash on me, so I can't really hand out money to people. Also, I'm broke, as we all are. So I can't just give cash to people. But I give what I can. And I I truly believe that in the United States of America, that is what our people are lacking right now, is just empathy. We have this apathetic attitude towards homeless people, towards people of lower class than us, and it's just sad. I remember a man when I back when I lived in New York that his I guess son threw him out of his car on Main Street in New Paltz and he had no legs and his son just threw him out and drove off with his prosthetic legs. So I went into Starbucks and I'd gotten my drink and I you know he was sitting on the ground and was trying to pull himself up onto a bench and I don't know his story. I didn't know his name. I don't even know if he's alive now. But something told me that day to just give him whatever cash I had. Luckily, right next door was Chase. I went, pulled money out of the ATM and I gave him 15 bucks and I said, I hope this helps you. Bus tickets were about 10 bucks, so if he needed to get somewhere, I I hope this helps you. And he was just so ecstatic. And I don't know what he used the money for. He may not have used it for a bus pass. He may not have used it for anything useful. But he was so grateful. And I wanted to know more about his story. He was wearing a Vietnam veteran um, hat. And I, I really wanted to know more. And I wish I had asked him more about him. But I was in a rush. I was going back to school. I had to class later that day. You know, we always make up these excuses as to why we can't be helpful or why we can't learn more from each other. I truly believe that's why that's why society has ended up the way it has is because we no longer care about our fellow human or our fellow sister or fellow brother. We we just care about ourselves and this culture of selfishness that has been bred over years and years and years is now a personality trait. Sitting in front of that fireplace, wondering if I had enough firewood, gave me a lick of what some of these people that I've met along the many years that I've been alive, what some of them go through. 
people died in their own home in Texas. There's multiple cases of suspected hypothermia, children, whole families. There's house fires. I just read recently that a grandmother and her three grandkids died in a fire and the mother survived and woke up in the hospital all because they left the fireplace on to try and stay warm. You hear about things like this in third world countries and here we are in the United States of America and we have people dying in their own homes because they can't stay warm because people wanted to make money off the backs of the working class. And I don't want to make this podcast political, but it's hard not to when our lives revolve so much about around so much about what the government is doing. And I hate that. I hate it. You know, if I could never read another headline that said somebody died due to not having the resources they needed, I would be the happiest person on the face of the planet. But this is the society that we created and we live in. So it's hard not to look at this from a political standpoint. So this show here today, I'd like to dedicate to all the people in Texas who have suffered this last week and had that worry at the back of their minds that am I going to make it? Am I going to be okay? And I'm glad that many of us are okay and many of us are fine, but for the people who are not, please, please, please go on to disasterassistance.gov and see if you qualify for any type of payment from FEMA to just get you back up on your feet. I mean, AOC came down to Houston and she raised so much money to help people who are struggling. And I truly believe that she will not ask your situation, but she just wants to help you. Um, And unfortunately, I don't feel like the governor and I don't feel like the senators that have been elected are in the same boat. So I know that was a lot to unpack, and I'd really love to have conversations about this. You know, I always ask you guys, um, you know, go on our Facebook, email us, tell me your stories, because there's I'm only one person, and this is only my story about what happened during the ice storms and during the snowstorms. Tell me your story. Tell me what happened. Where, where were you? What was going on in your household? What were you concerned about? Because... The more we share our stories, the more connected we'll be. And that's ultimately what my goal is with this podcast, is to connect people through stories. Whether they're good, whether they're bad, it doesn't matter. It's about the discussion. It's about the conversation. Today seems like it's going to be a little bit darker a little bit sadder just because of everything that's conspired over the last week in not only San Antonio, but all across Texas. And I'd like to take a little bit of time just to read you a small passage from something that's a little bit lighthearted, 
make you feel good. Um, cause I know that I really need a breather after last week and just something to decompress with everything that had gone on. Okay. So I know I said, I'm going to read something happy, but I don't have much happy material. Um, probably partially to blame on my childhood, but here we are. So what I'd like to do, I know we read a little bit from Burn Our Houses Down uh, last week, so I'd like to read a little bit from the sequel to give you guys an idea of what the trilogy is all about, and I'm hoping to continue this trend that uh, next Thursday I'll be able to read you a snippet from the third and final book in the trilogy and then hear what your guys' thoughts are. Let's see what I've got for you. Alrighty, so today I'm going to read for you a little excerpt from If I Lose, which is actually the second book to the Burn Our Houses Down trilogy. Uh, last Thursday, I read you a little snippet from the beginning of Burn Our Houses Down, and I want to kind of continue this trend on to this Thursday as well as the following Thursday, just to give you an idea of what the Burn Our Houses Down series is all about. Now, If I Lose, of course, is the sequel to the first book in the series, and I wrote this kind of in a frenzy right after writing Burn Our Houses Down. This is the first book that I've ever been able to do that, where I just write in a linear fashion. And what I mean by that is I write like I'm writing a timeline, so I don't write and mismatch different scenes and have to put them together at the end. Um, that's typically how I write is that I write a scene, and then I write another scene, and then I write another scene, and then at the end of the day, I rearrange them in the order they're supposed to go, and then I connect the scenes to each other. I found that that's always been the easiest way for me to complete a story, and Burn Our Houses Down was the first one that I've ever not done that, and it was actually the first novel I ever, ever wrote. If I Lose was very similar. I wrote everything in a linear fashion and uh, was very shocked that I was able to bust this out in less than three months, I believe, I wrote this novel. Lots of editing, which took a while because I needed, of course, to find a reliable editor because my first book did not have that same setup. So with this book, I got the name from Last Night on Earth from Green Day's 21st Century Breakdown album. Essentially, it's talking about the song. This is what the story was inspired by. It's talking about losing everything, but still going back to the person that you love. I didn't intend for the Burn Our Houses Down series to even have like a long lasting uh, romance undertone, but somehow that ended up happening. But I think I like to put realistic spins on things where... I don't make it like a happily ever after because I hate, I hate happily ever afters. If you read any of my other books, you will very quickly learn that. So I'm sorry if I make you upset, but <laughs> um, I tend to be more realistic with my endings than uh, happily ever after. So I'm going to read you the first few chapters of If I Lose, and then we'll pick it up again next Thursday with... Uh, the final book in the series, Painted Red. So without further ado, I give you If I Lose. Prologue. I never thought I would run from safety, but this place will kill me if I stay any longer. 
It's been five years, six months, and 15 days since Xavier left Aisley and I at the fort's gates. Aisley turns 14 in two days. They'll try and take her next. We need to get our families safe. The only way is to run, like before. I need you, Xavier. I need to find you. For all of our sakes. January 6, 2013. Haley? A tiny voice says into my ear. I try to open my eyes, but they're just too damn heavy. Haley, please wake up. I don't want to lose you, too. I don't hear Xavier. I know that's Aisley, but where am I? I can't remember. You have to go here. I'll be back to get you soon. I love you, Hales. Always have, always will. I'm... I'm at the fort. He got us here, but he couldn't come with us? He... A scream rips through my throat. I sit up feeling a sharp pain shoot through my spinal cord. A door slams shut. Miss Henderson! A voice yells. Please, lay back down. You've been seriously injured. Where is he? I try and get out of bed, but a small voice stops me. Mom? My God, Aisley. Her dirty blonde hair falls to her lower back, her face fuller and less defined by protruding bones. She looks so grown up. Aisley? I reach and touch her skin. It's so smooth, like it's never even seen the outside. The nurse walks with a small needle to where I can't see her anymore. I start crying, and Aisley reaches out to wipe the tears from my face. Yeah, you've been out for a week. What day is it? My body relaxes, and I lay back against the softness of my mattress. My birthday was yesterday. I'm ten now. I smile and take hold of her hand. She's ten which means it's 2013. Her birthday was January 5th. The nurse reaches behind my head and pulls a tube under my nose. I gave you something to help you relax, Miss Henderson. I nod my head and rest it on my pillow. Where's Xavier? No one responds. I look over at Aisley and her eyes are wide. Is he dead? Aisley's eyes shift down. No, please no. I look over at the nurse. She reaches out and squeezes my hand. I'm very sorry, Miss Henderson. No! I want to get up and run, but all the energy I had when I first woke up is gone. I sob harder when I look at Aisley, our child, the one we saved from the fire, and see her begin to cry as well. Please try and relax, Miss Henderson, the nurse says, releasing my hand. Miss Aisley, ten more minutes. Aisley nods her head and follows the nurse with her eyes all the way to the door and waits for it to shut. Haley, I need you to listen to me. Her voice is coming out so fast that I barely catch what she's saying. Xavier in, not dead. Remember, try and remember. I nod my head, but I don't really know what for. Everything is just so peaceful right now, don't you think? Xavier, he looks down at me. It feels like I'm floating, like we're miles above the clouds somewhere no one can touch us. I reach for the side of his face. I can feel the warmth through his scuff. I love you, Hales. Always have, always will. He kisses me on the lips and I completely melt into him. I'm finally whole again. Try and remember, Aisley's voice chimes in. I frown and can't focus on anything for a moment. A gunshot fills my ears and wetness sprays over me. Xavier holds a fist to his chest. 
I wipe at my face and look down at my hands. Blood. Xavier. Before I can look back, I'm floating toward a giant set of doors. Xavier! I scream, and the door slams. My eyes shoot open. I look around, taking in the beige walls and the ordinary decor. A flower with fresh white roses sits on the nightstand on my left. I grab at my stomach and feel a bump where the pain hurts worse. I must have really gotten hurt for them to wrap this much gauze on me. I try and remember how I got here, where Aisley was and Xavier. A pull in my chest almost makes me fall out of bed. He's not here. Is he dead? I can't remember. The light switches on in the room and burns my eyes. I shield them and blink several times before I regain my vision. Sorry about that, Miss Henderson. Looks like you got some good resting time in. Yeah. Here are your vitamins, she says, handing me a small cup with pills. Um, thanks. She hands me a cup with water and I swallow them down. Where's Aisley? Your daughter's at school. What? My daughter? I guess we had to be a family to get in. Your daughter, Aisley? The nurse says, marking something down in her notepad. Do you remember how you got here? Xavier. No, honey, I mean here. You were stabbed by the cannibals. The nurse's lips purse up into a straight line. We call them something different, but for lack of a better term, she writes something else down and underlines it. How's the morning sickness? Are you all right? Xavier's voice echoes from somewhere. I look around wildly to see if he's hiding somewhere in the room. What's the matter, Miss Henderson? The nurse asks, taking a hold of my hand. I flinch at her touch. I thought... I start looking around again. I thought I heard someone else in the room. Nope, just you and me. The nurse smiles. She looks down at her notepad and circles several things. Now, how's the morning sickness? Is it morning now? <laughs> no. Well, I guess I don't have morning sickness then. The nurse's cheery disposition is really starting to tick me off. Was I sick before or something? Well, of course. I try to remember before I got here, before I got to this moment with the fake nurse and the white flowers. I remember shooting that man who was going to kill Aisley. I was really sick that morning, but I just assumed it was food poisoning. Maybe she's asking me now because of the stab wound or something. I'm just going to listen. The nurse says, placing the stethoscope's earbuds in. I nod my head. I try to remember what happened after Xavier brought me here, but everything is so confusing. My head throbs when I even try to think about anything before I woke up here. Maybe it's like what happened to me with Cassie. Post-traumatic stress disorder, but that would mean he's dead. Well, not necessarily. It could be from the months running in the woods, but what if my nightmare was the truth? No, <laughs> no, he couldn't have been shot. He's smarter than that. The nurse lifts my blanket and presses the stethoscope to my stomach. I swat her hand away. What are you doing? Checking the heartbeat, the nurse says. <laughs> of what, my stomach? The nurse laughs but stops when I scowl at her. Hun, you're pregnant. January, or something like it. I feel a wave of nausea sweep over me. I, I'm... I'm pregnant. Yes, we estimate you're about 19 weeks. What? How long have I been out? Your wounds were extensive. 
We've been trying to keep you slightly sedated while they healed. Slightly sedated? You practically put me in a coma. I yell, knocking over the vase of flowers that were on the nightstand next to me. How long? The nurse goes completely rigid and folds her hands over her lap. I have no idea why I'm so angry. Must be hormones. About four months, she responds quietly. I stand and stalk past the nurse out of the door to my room. Fuck this. I'm finding Aisley and we're leaving this place. Who the hell sedates someone for four months and thinks it's okay? This place must be filled with nut jobs. Miss Henderson, she calls after me, but I don't stop. I turn left outside the door and head down a barren hallway. I need to find Aisley. There's just too many questions that I know only she will answer. The pain in my stomach gets worse with each step I take. I look down and see blood seeping through my hospital gown, but beneath that I see the small beginnings of a baby bump. Oh my god. I run my hands along my stomach. I am pregnant. I'm carrying the last bit of Xavier with me. Miss Henderson, please, you need to get back in bed. Your wound isn't fully healed. It's his, isn't it? I ask, spinning to face her. Whose? Xavier's. I can feel the tension in my voice. I came here with him. He, he was the one who brought me here. We estimate that you got pregnant recently, but I'm sorry, we don't know who the father is. She responds, taking a hold of my arm. Now please, Miss Henderson, we need you to get back in bed. I look at the blood on my stomach and feel panic travel up my spine. Did I hurt my baby? Our child? It's the only thing I have left of Xavier, the only thing that makes him real. A pain stinks somewhere in my chest. Xavier, he's not here. I start sobbing, and the nurse attempts to hold me up. I fall to my knees and feel pain in my stomach again. A scream backed by every ounce of pain comes out effortlessly. Footsteps come barreling down the hallway. Bradley! The nurse's head shoots up in the direction of the voice. What the hell is going on down here? I'm sorry, sir. She ran and I couldn't get to her. Gentlemen, please escort Nurse Bradley out. Is everything all right, Miss Henderson? What happened to Xavier? I'm sorry, ma'am, but he was killed bringing you here. I feel the familiar tug in my chest, but I swallow it down. But surely you remember that, don't you? No, I don't. Because Xavier's not dead. I'm sure of it. He wasn't stupid enough to stand in the middle of a hot zone without taking cover behind someone or something. But why do I feel like these people are telling me the truth? Why do I hurt when I think about him? It's like he's some distant memory that I can just barely recall. Miss Henderson? I don't know. The man lets out a sigh. It's okay, Miss Henderson. Things must be very confusing for you right now. Let me help you to your room so you can rest. I nod my head and reach for his hand. In time, you'll remember. May? Haley, Aisley calls from somewhere. I'm running through a hallway. Aisley! My breath is quick and shallow. I'm holding something metal in my hand. A gun. Xavier's gun. Aisley! I yell running faster now. They have her. The cannibals have her. I fire around for my gun and a body slumps down in front of me. Haley! Aisley yells, running towards me. Come on, we've got to get to the forerunner. Aisley's hands grab the sides of my face and directs my head towards hers. Try and remember, she says in a panicked tone. A man comes from behind her, and I throw her to the side. All I feel is fire. 
a burning fire blossoming outward from my stomach. I look down and see a blade three quarters of a way in, into my skin. Blood falls like snowflakes to the ground. No, Aisley screams, and I'm engulfed in darkness. I shoot up in bed covered in sweat. I feel my stomach, but nothing is there except for the much larger than I remember baby bump. I lay my head back down, but leave my hand on my stomach. I'm sorry I put you through hell, I whisper. I rub my stomach in circles. My God, it's moving. It's kicking. The baby's kicking. I'm crying before I can stop myself. The door to my room opens slowly and a wave of golden hair shines just on the other side. Aisley? She closes the door quietly and runs over to the side of my bed. Her arms close around my neck and I squeeze her back. I haven't seen you in so long, she whispers in my ear. What are you talking about? I say, frowning. I saw you two days ago. Mom. <sighs> we need to talk. What's the matter? Don't mention anything about what happened outside the walls, she whispers in my ear. They'll keep you here until you're a shell. I need you. He needs you. What do you mean, keep me here? I ask. You're not making any sense. They've been keeping you here for months, Mom. Six to be exact. Please, keep everything about us a secret if someone asks about... Please, keep everything about us a secret if someone asks you about it. They'll just keep knocking you out if you mention anything about the wild. The wild? It's what everyone calls it here. They'll explain it to you once you stop remembering, she responds. I nod my head. I look into Aisley's eyes. Gosh, she looks older since I saw her last. She's probably two, maybe three inches taller now. Her green eyes are brighter, almost cat-like, and she even carries herself like an adult. I know she acted well past her age when we were running, but it's like I'm talking to someone my age now. Six months, you said? Aisley nods her head. That explains the kicking. They kicked you? That's the Aisley I remember. She pulls back and starts looking me over for bruises. Aisley, the baby is kicking. She stops and every muscle in her tenses. What? I'm pregnant. Her eyes go wide and she rips off the blanket. Her hand covers her gaping mouth. I motion for her to bring her ears closer. It's Xavier's. How do you know? Well, I don't exactly know how to tell her that we were having sex in the room next door to her at the hotel. Let's just say Xavier and I, uh, we um, were intimate. A look of disgust similar to finding a bug in your food crosses over her face. Ew, she responds. Gross. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> people eating other people end of the world scenario, cannibals chasing us. It was nice to take a moment to ourselves from that. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear any of that come out of your mouth. Good deal. A knock at the door sends us both jumping. Remember, nothing about the wild. I nod my head. A nurse, a male one now, walks through the doorway. Morning, Miss Henderson, he says. Miss Aisley, shouldn't you be in school? Aisley's shoulders go rigid. Something in her voice sends a chill up my spine. I'm sorry, sir. She just missed me so much, and I must have forgotten today was a school day. I take hold of Aisley's hand. Now, sweetie, you go on and head to school. I'll see you afterwards. I'm making dinner tonight, so don't be late. Aisley smirks and kisses me on the cheek. She disappears behind the thick oak door that separates me from the rest of civilization. I turn my attention to the nurse and fill my voice with falseness. 
Sorry about that. Sometimes I can be so forgetful. It seems like you're doing much better, Miss Henderson. How's the baby doing? He's kicking. I don't have to lie about that. And to think, last year I would have freaked if something like this came my way. I still can't explain why I'm so calm about all of it. It could partially be the drugs they've been giving me, but I truly believe that a big part of it is because this is where Xavier and I were heading. He got me that ring. My ring. I look down at my fingers and stare at the bareness of each and every one of them. Miss Henderson? Is there something wrong? Yeah. I can't bring up the ring without bringing up Xavier. If I do, it means I can remember things that didn't happen here. I breathe out and hold my head. I've got this terrible headache, I say instead. The nurse nods his head. That's completely normal. We put you on some medications that don't affect the baby, of course, but they might give you some mild headaches. I nod my head, but of course I don't have a headache. I'm burning with rage. That ring was a gift from Xavier, a promise. Do you remember how you got here? Um, I was hurt? My memory is really muggy. I rub my eyes and think of Xavier. A rush of energy burst through me and I remember being carried through the woods. Miss Henderson, I was stabbed and carried here. The nurse smiles and nods his head. It seems like your memory is finally coming back to you. Coming back to me? Sometimes when you're injured or something traumatic happens to you, your mind will shut down in order to protect yourself. It's called post-traumatic stress disorder. I finish. He doesn't have to lecture me on something I'm all too familiar with. I attempt to smile. The nurse places the clipboard down and pulls the layers of blanket off of me. How about we get you out of here into some fresh air? Really? He laughs and nods his head. Your wounds are healed up and your memory is back. I don't really see any reason to keep you on bed rest. I nod my head and swing my legs over the side. Whoa, he says, catching my legs. Miss Henderson, remember, you're nearly six months pregnant now. Your body has changed significantly since I know. I stand on my feet and the blood rushes straight to my head. The nurse catches me before I hit the ground. See, told you so. I look up at him and smile. His eyes are a deep blue, like the kind of blue you see when you're hundreds of thousands of miles away at sea. A hesitant smile twitches onto his face, but it fades quicker than it appears. Let's um, get you into the sunlight. I'll help you walk. I nod my head and try to wrap my arm around his shoulders. When he stands up straight though, he's about three or four feet taller than me. I let my arm awkwardly fall to his waist and cling on for dear life when I take my first step. Don't worry. I won't let you fall. That's something Xavier would say. I look up at him and smile. He doesn't return it this time. His skin is dark, motionless, smooth, almost perfect. The muscles in his arms are barely straining from carrying me. I can tell by the size of my stomach alone that I'm no longer a featherweight. His gaze meets mine and I hold my breath. What is it? I shake my head and look forward. Nothing. You remind me of someone. Who? I bite my tongue before Xavier's name slips out of my mouth. I can't remember their name. He nods his head in response. I hate when that happens. He brings me towards a tall archway that's illuminated with a halo of light. I shield my eyes and my feet stagger. Whoa, the nurse says, tightening his grip on me. I've got you. And that was If I Lose. So that was just a few of the chapters. I hope that you enjoyed it. Tell us what you think. Um, 
You can always email us at campfirechronicles at icloud.com. Contact us on Facebook. And of course, if you're interested in reading more, If I Lose is available on iBooks, Amazon, as well as lulu.com if you're a hardcover reader. On behalf of Cure Habitat, my name is Kelsey Garmendia, and thanks for stopping by the campfire. See you Sunday.